0: Hello, welcome to Sonic Serial. I'm Jesse.
1: And
2: I'm Mark. Um, In this podcast, we take a deep dive into albums from some of our favorite artists track by track. Um, Today, uh, we are debuting uh, the album Debut by Bjork. Um, And so, as we do, uh, whenever we start a new album, uh, this episode, we're going to talk about the album and the artist, and then next episode, we'll start um, with our deep dive into the actual songs. So tell us, what Uh, do we have in store for today?
0: Yeah, Bjork. Yeah? Debut. Yeah? It was recorded in 1993, and it was recorded in London, and... uh, Where were you in 1993? Where was I? Who are you? (laughs) I was a wee toddler, <laughs> probably, yeah. Okay. I was a little older. Yeah. Who um, were you?
2: I was in college. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, the album was recorded in London. Yeah. Let's start with a little background, a little bit of background on Bjork, the artist, who she is, where is she from,
0: her inspirations, her motivations. Bjork was born in 1965, in Reykjavik, and her full name is actually Björk Godman's daughter, and it's pronounced Björk, not Björk.
2: Yeah, it surprised me listening to um, her podcast. Yeah. Every time they introduce her, Björk. Björk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had never heard that before. Yeah, it's not Björk, it's not Björk.
1: <clears throat> Björk. So does it annoy you when people say Björk? No, it's actually quite entertaining that there are about 500 versions of my name <laughs> and it, it uh, surprises me every day. And what do the Americans call you? Björk. So Björk. Björk.
0: Björk. It's... Think, uh, think
1: of Björk.
0: Her last name is literally translates to <clears throat> Goodman's daughter, so I guess her good, sorry. father's name is Goodman. Like yeah, John Goodman. Yeah.
2: All right. So she uh, described herself as being brought up by hippie parents. We can all relate, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's. She said she had hippie parents. Um, her. That just encouraged her to have an open mind, and um, but she said that she always had to be like the sensible one, hmm. like, and walk herself to school and stuff, and, uh, and I think that's very Icelandic. Keep things in order. Like she felt like the old lady of the house. Hmm.
2: But yeah, when I was there, I remember being kind of shocked that there was a bunch of like seven, eight-year-old kids walking yeah in a group down the street yeah. <laughs> at four p.m. in the afternoon. Yeah. All right, so yeah, she had hippie parents. Her mom uh, was an activist and uh, a kung fu or karate teacher and um, acupuncturist. Acupuncturist, and her father was an electrician
0: yeah an electrician
2: um and somehow she uh ended up uh with an album
0: oh yeah so uh her mom or her parents divorced like a child album (laughs) yeah so her parents divorced and then her mom got remarried to a musician and he encouraged uh little Bjork to (laughs) record an album and sing on it. And, uh, yeah, so, well, when she was five, her parents enrolled her into a classical music school. And so they picked up on her musical talent from a young young. age. And so when she was 11, she recorded the album and-
2: uh, And it was really popular.
0: Yeah, and she she became well-known in Reykjavik. So all of Iceland. Yeah, kind of a child star in that regard.
2: Yeah, she does not look back at that
0: Yeah, time, she's not too proud of it. Um, she felt uncomfortable with having the album named Björk and. Um, with her face being on the cover when all she did was sing on it, but she didn't write any of the songs or... And it was a very collaborative song. I mean, collaborative album. A lot of musicians were on it, and uh, it just didn't feel like her own artistic vision. She was just being told what to do.
2: Yeah, she said she thought <clears throat> she felt very inauthentic to be the, the yeah, I guess, the face so, of the album.
0: So it seems like she had a sense of, like... Artistic independence from a very young age yeah. that she wanted.
2: Um, and that's a good segue into, I guess, her next move, which was um, she joined a number of punk and post punk bands um, like Spit and Snot, Exodus, Tappy Ticker Ass, which, which translates as um, Cork the Bitch is Ours. Which I guess a friend of, or a, a parent of one of her bandmates said that. Um, the music sounded as comfortable as, sticking a cork in a ours. Mm. Quite the, quite the metaphor. Inventory. Inventory, yeah. um, and then Kukul, uh, who experienced some success abroad.
0: Band she was in was actually the Sugar Cubes, which gained worldwide attention, and they recorded. What's your favorite Sugar Cube song? Um, I do like "Birthday," which is their well-known. I think it's probably one of their top songs. Yeah. Her singing is so unique on that one. Yeah. It's like very squeaky, but in a beautiful, cute way, I guess.
2: Obviously, the Sugar Cubes gained uh, worldwide attention and notoriety and success. Um, and they recorded a few albums and toured. So that definitely got her um, kind of more into the mainstream. Yeah. Um, but by the early 90s, she was feeling a little. Maybe...
0: uh, ANC to branch out? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, she wanted to do, like, work with jazz musicians and uh, electronic musicians, and she was just feeling kind of tired of the rock scene, and she wanted to get into other things.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like she was already... (laughs) I mean, she had been working on music... Since a child or since a teenager, mm-hmm. and I think she brought one of those songs to the table um, during when the Sugar Cubes was developing, um, I guess their last album, and they had a rule where you could bring ideas but not fully formed songs because the whole they wanted to make sure that the band felt like a collaborative band. Yeah, and she felt like. Um, she wanted to introduce something that was a little bit different and yeah. i think they very amicably parted ways
0: yeah i mean you know when you're doing a group project you don't you don't want that one member to do all the work and then come back to class and just present it have you all present it and you know just like that. Maybe that's a bad analogy, I don't know.
2: No, that's good. And uh, she was asked a lot when debut came out about um, how what the difference was between her and the sugar cubes and she compared it to a party, saying that the sugar cubes was more like um, a party and you know who's gonna be there and you get dressed up and you bring a bottle of wine and some music um, and you go and you have a great time. And kind of the details don't matter, like the color of the curtains or whether you liked the jokes that people were telling. Um, And you're not going to stand on a chair and tell everybody what to say or do. And so she felt like, it sounds like what she's saying is that there was compromises, but that was fine. That was part of being a band. And that debut is basically her making fewer compromises,
0: if any. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it.
2: All right before debut came out though she put out an album of jazz standards with icelandic jazz um outfit or trio i can't pronounce this (laughs) um and they did a bunch of um kind of jazz standards covers of jazz standards including ruby baby and dance with me and i think when i first read that i thought um, that that was odd but yeah. in retrospect when you think about how much jazz influence um, exists in her music throughout her yeah. career I mean, it makes sense that that would be sort of the first place she would kind of experiment
0: yeah I mean it, you definitely can hear it on debut especially um, yeah but yeah the album's called Glinglow Glinglow if you want to look for it on YouTube or something we can just hear a little bit or oh, we yeah. can just play it
1: right now yeah. <laughs>
0: Um,
2: All right, so for debut, um, let's talk about production. She originally planned to work with several producers on the album, which would be something she did um, often in the future, Yeah. but ended up... um, Oh, who did she want to work with?
0: Uh, One of the producers (laughs) she wanted to work with was Paul Fox, who's known for working with Pointer Sisters, Fish, and They Might Be Giants and so on. Um, But she ended up having uh, Nellie Hooper produce the album, who um, you might recognize from Soul to Soul and Massive Attack. Paul Fox and but he introduced Bjork to a lot of the jazz musicians that were on the album. Um, That includes uh, harpist by the name of Corky Hill and saxophonist Oliver Lake. And uh, some other musicians that worked on the album include Gary Barnacle, who's a session saxophonist, Marys DeVry, who did additional production, Uh, Louis Jardim, who did percussion, He's also worked with Nina Hagen and Grace Jones. Yes. Um, Talvin Singh, who contributed a lot of the Indian instruments, like the tabla. And he's uh, known for working with Susie and the Banshees on the song Kiss Them For Me. A very
1: Indian vibe. Yeah.
0: And then um, a drummer by the name of Bruce Smith lots of others, so...
2: Um, and I heard she was actually skeptical about working with Nellie Hooper initially.
0: Yeah, when well, he was, like, becoming, like, pretty well-known in the scene, like, uh, the, one of the top upcoming producers in London, and she was kind of afraid that would make the album sound too stylish or polished and in good taste or whatever, but, um, she felt very good and changed her mind after... They started working together
2: um and when the album was released um she talked about how she felt like most of the positive reviews were mostly attributed to her being Icelandic. so it's kind of like for an Icelandic singer she's good yeah <laughs> as opposed to for you know uh, an artist she's good
0: brought that like exotic factor yeah
2: yeah album. people focused on that um as much or even more than the music yeah so she at the time felt that the album was that, wasn't that was that good and that she could do better yeah um, but she ended up going on tour for two years
0: yeah two years and she did 39 shows with a touring band that consisted of Guy Sigsworth who you might recognize from uh, the duo Fru Fru with Imogen Heap and he's also worked with Madonna. Um, also, Lila Arab was in their touring band, and she did keyboards, and Talvin Singh and Ike Leo on bass.
2: And um, <clears throat> so apart from all these musicians... Um,
0: uh, and I think she she stated that, um, yeah, most of them were immigrants, and that was very important hmm. to her. 'Cause she was an immigrant herself.
1: When I started to audition for my band, I found myself after watching many hundreds of people play with a group of immigrants Iran, India, Turkey, same kids. And all these people were very proud of where they come from. For us to come from such different culture and from such different musical style too, it, it was very fascinating.
2: Yeah, another one of the kind of areas of activism that she talks a lot about is um, sort of when you're Icelandic, every you kind of feel like you're an immigrant everywhere because there's so few people from there that you don't, you're not surrounded by people like you. Um, And even in her latest podcast or an interview, I forget who that was
0: with. Oh, Robin is the author.
2: Look it up while I'm talking. Uh. Um, she talks about how, um, like, what is the process? Like, how long do you have to be somewhere where you feel like you're not an immigrant
0: anymore? Yeah. Robin Wall Kimmerer.
2: Yeah. That's a great interview. If you, who's
0: also a scientist, I
2: heard it. You should listen to it. Um, but, um, yeah, so she toured, did 39 shows. Um, the album in, I guess, in in hindsight or now is looked back on as, um, being one of the major, um, kind of forces that brought electronic music to the mainstream audiences, which makes sense because electronic music existed, obviously, but
0: yeah, you,
2: it was relegated to like,
0: yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I can't really think of, uh, like a, singer at the time that was like doing yeah. it. I mean a lot of singers were like start but they were all like coming out at the same time. Like yeah. Madonna or Syl.
2: But they didn't really integrate electronic music into their music until years later. Yeah. So I people talk about her being definitely an influence. Um what
0: about the album cover? So the album cover was shot by Jean Baptiste Mondino, um, who at the time had worked on a lot of campaigns for Jean Paul Gautier and has done work with Madonna. And he did the he did a Grace Jones album cover the the kind of
2: notorious when she's on one foot with the blow dryer. Mm. Um, Nina Cherry, yeah, he's.
0: Um. so the story behind this was um, Bjork had actually planned to bring some outfits of her own uh, but her luggage got like lost and so the stylist Judy Blame uh, picked out a Mason Margella Mason Martin Margella sweater a mohair sweater which but you're uh, wearing right now I'm wearing a mohair not that sweater <laughs> I found it on eBay. Um, Yeah. And uh, so the pose that she's making is with um, prayer hands up to her mouth. And she has these little jewel tears coming out of her eyes. So it kind of feels like a religious statue, um, like Catholic statues where the saints are crying. Um, and then the color scheme is like this faded ancient ancient sepia tint. So, seems like a vintage, like postcard or photograph that you find in a vintage store or something. And then, um, <clears throat> just some trivia, for Britney Spears' single "Baby One More Time," she's doing the same pose on oh. the cover. Hmm. So I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. not, but yeah.
2: Um, so apart from. Uh, I was going to (laughs) say Britney Spears being an inspiration (laughs) Um, uh, I've heard that uh, Sir David Attenborough was and is um, a big inspiration for her yeah Um, saying she identified with his thirst for exploring new and wild territories Um, so that makes sense and they later did something right yeah they
0: on, on their album Biophilia they collaborated
2: um, <clears throat> Any other sort of thoughts on production or the music itself on the album before we get to some um, uncomfortable trivia
0: No I mean I'll probably have some thoughts come up when we go into the songs more How about your personal experience? Um, yeah by the time I heard this album I had already already Listen to three of her albums uh, so much and uh, it just it's hard it, I think this album is pretty low on the list because it just doesn't really compare to her later work and it just seems kind of dated in my opinion just like I think that happens it kind of I... feels like some of it feels like generic karaoke dance pop oh. <laughs> from the so, early 90s I feel
2: like when you when one <coughs> hears like I know that there's bands that I heard after they'd been out for a while mm-hmm. and the songs that were out when I first heard them were the ones that I equate with like them and then when I would hear the earlier stuff I would think oh that's nice but yeah. it's not like my it's not like my artist right, right. you know
0: yeah um I mean, yeah, because I I fell in love with like later Bjork by the time yeah. she had like three or four albums out. Yeah,
2: and like from for me, I I was like I went to go see the Sugar Cubes, and when I first heard that she was going out on her own, I was excited because like oh more Sugar Cubes, but yeah, the best part of the best part of the Sugar Cubes. No, but when I first heard that she was coming out on uh, with a solo album, mm-hmm. I thought yay more Sugar Cubes yeah and it didn't sound like that, but um yeah, I got to sit with my Walkman or my discman, yeah
0: um, and listen to it over and over, and came to love it. did you feel the need did you love it so much that you felt the need <clears throat> to tell the people about it or was I
2: feel like most of the people that I hung out with. Like listen to it as well and yeah. knew about it. Like I didn't tell my parents about it.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was we actually did. weird because her second, like her, the few albums after that, I sort of like lost a little interest mm-hmm. and it wasn't until later that I came back and kind of... Yeah. Because um, I think there was so many artists that she influenced after that that the music a lot started sounding kind of like just electronic with indie with pop with rock kind yeah. of all fusing together in the, you know, like mid to late nineties. Um, uh, there was just so much to listen to that sounded like that. Yeah. That it, it wasn't until later that I went back and listened to kind of, yeah, yeah. Jesse just took his hair down.
0: She eats raw meat.
2: Um, yeah. So Which I don't recommend she eats raw meat. Um
0: I'm good. Food poisoning.
2: And her reason for eating raw meat is so is, is so Bjork, I think. <laughs> she says that um, she eats it because she thinks it's more honest because it's what it really is. Um, she feels like when you cook it and dress it up that you sort of, you know, it's easy to forget that you're eating like a dead animal. Yeah. So when you eat it raw, it's sort of like this you honest well just way of eating it. it. Yeah. Don't beat um, That's it so Bjork. Yet. Um and I don't know if I want to end this with this, but she was born on November twenty-first, and she is a double Scorpio, um, which um she says means that um you are formidable, troublesome, and um have a double dose of sex, secrecy, and passion.
0: Hmm.
2: Um and she does karate. She says that she does karate, swims, and masturbates every day. Sounds healthy. Yeah, it does sound healthy, actually. Um,
0: what else you got? Her favorite film when... Oh, de- yeah. Debut, ...debuted mm-hmm. was Tam Popo, and that's a Japanese film. And she says it's the funniest film ever. It's about sex and noodles. She's seen it a hundred times.
2: Yeah, um... It's good. It's it's like a bunch of short stories all about sex and noodles. I uh, highly recommend it. It's an 80s film, so it's definitely um, been out for a while. But, yeah. Um, and her favorite painter at the time, I can't pronounce this. Eggert Magnusson. Eggert Magnusson. Um, she says he was a sailor, a pirate uh, who sailed... I don't know when he lived, but he sailed all over the world. Um, And when he was 75, he decided to quit being a sailor and a pirate and um, started painting everything he'd seen throughout his life. And uh, she owns an original, one of his originals, um, and it's a painting of a tiger in the Himalayas, which was known for biting off people's heads. Um, And um, she describes the painting... uh, which is on our kitchen wall in Iceland. Um, it features childlike mushroom trees um, and a dead woman elevating our own hair. Did you find that image? No. Oh.
0: <clears throat> but I just realized that um, the tiger painting makes an appearance in one of her music videos that we'll talk about later oh. or soon.
2: Soon. Great. Um, <clears throat> right, that's a good segue into... Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> um, yeah, so we will. We will. Talk some more. Yeah, next, the next um, episode or the one that follows this. We'll delve more deeper and, and.
0: Go inside these songs. And
2: which songs are we gonna do?
0: Uh, we're gonna do Human Behavior. Just and, Human Behavior. And Crying. And Crying. All yeah. right.
2: Um, yeah, songs one and two off the album and uh, we're excited for that we're actually really excited for that because we decided to do this podcast because we really wanted to dive into the individual songs Yeah. Um, so. and uh, jesse here is a musician yeah and an artist yeah. and um so he's going to talk about things from a from an artist's perspective right. and from a fan
0: yeah and, and marks a scientist.
2: I'm a scientist, so I will talk about things from a scientific. I don't know about interview. that. That's that's uh, that's a lot of weight. To okay, put that's so a lot yeah. of expectations. I'm just gonna talk about as a as a music fan. Yeah. Um, but
0: there's science involved in her work too. So yeah, there is science involved in that? her work. Yeah. And there's science um, in music. It's all, it's all related. It's all related. It's science in work all right
2: peace love and happiness that's not our sign (laughs) bye goodbye see you next
1: episode yes